0: Yeah.
1: Canada FM, the show that deep dives into um, Canadian bands that didn't really strike it big anywhere outside of Canada. And we've got one of the biggest Canadian bands of all time to fit that description to kick off season two. Brian, it's season
2: two. Did you ever think we'd make it this far? (laughs) I thought I would rage quit like six times by now. (laughs) Hey, we came close a couple of times.
1: (laughs) Um, there was
2: a few Teddy and Brian blow-ups in the early going where I thought that was it. I mean, it was one of those things. It would have been like, uh, I would have kept doing it. But it's like, you know how you hear stories like in uh, in Anchorman where uh, Will Ferrell and Veronica hated each other but they still able to got through the news? It would have been like one of those things where we like grit our teeth. <laughs> well, you know what? It wouldn't have been as fun.
1: It wouldn't have been. No, like a couple. There was a couple episodes there. I was trying to remember, one of them we did get into, like, a little mini fight, and we had to stop recording for the day. I can't remember which one. I think it was the Moffat's? No, no. Because
2: we did that three times. No, we only did it twice. The the payolas one was kind of like... 'Cause you had some family stuff going on. I was like exhausted for some reason and like our well, yeah. our gear wasn't working, so it was kinda like an off to a rocky foot, so like and you're like we were both on delays for each other, so you're like, fuck it, let's do it another time. And during uh it might have been the Moffits where we got into like a mask debate and I had to cut around. We got into a
1: fight. That was, yeah, we that wasn't so much a
2: fight, that was just more of a petty squabble.
1: I was worked up, but guess what? There's no fighting today. You're always worked Because we're up. recording and releasing the same day. <laughs> I purposely want to get 10 episodes in the can for the first season, so I wouldn't have to worry about this stuff, Wait. but hey, you say you can do it, you say you can do it, I've got the utmost trust in you that you can do yeah. it. And uh, we'll do it that way. But, yeah, this is a fast. So, everything is new. The Olympic opening ceremony just happened this morning. I know. Okay. Um, Nelson Cruz just got traded to the Rays. That just happened this morning. Uh, Last night. The Cleveland Indians are now the
2: Guardians.
1: The Guardians. They're the Cleveland Guardians as of today. So, all this stuff is happening around us. We just went with sports because that's the easiest thing for me to retain. (laughs) But... Yes, this is as fresh an episode as you're going to get, which is going to set
2: a horrible tone going forward for season two. (laughs) Hey, sometimes the best stuff comes out of spontaneity, and it's not uh, where like when you sometimes when you overprepare, you're almost like boring, whereas uh, when it's off the seat of your pants, it's hot, it's fresh, like scat jazz.
1: You know, it's funny because that'll come back what you said. Some of the best things come out of spontaneity. When we are going through the albums of this week's artist, yeah. and next week's artist too, because we're <laughs> splitting this one in half, it's Blue Rodeo, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I got to tell you, Brian, I was leaving work today, and I passed by an office, and they had the radio going, and one of our radio stations was playing, it, uh, not it could happen to you, till I myself again. And I sat there. I didn't leave. I just sat there and smiled and sang along. <laughs>
2: Listening to these albums has been such a joy. I thoroughly enjoyed myself this week. Honestly, I'm not saying I'm surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did. It's just because, well, first of all, I was dreading it when, when uh, you know, country. And to be honest, I'm going to be honest, everyone talks about Blue Rodeo. My whole life, they have made no impact on people like when when uh when you were talking about the maestro sample when they sample try i was like Oh yeah yeah, 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 that's something i had no idea (laughs) (laughs) well you know what the same thing was kind of with me
1: because i remember the first time i ever heard of blue rodeo um it was when the and Ladies just came out. So you were talking about a six, maybe seven-year-old Ted Jessup. <laughs> and I asked my aunt and uncle, well, who are some other Canadian bands? And they're like, uh, because at the time it's early 90s. They're, I think they were trying to find a reference point to something that I would like. Right. Uh, they're like, Brian Adams. They're like, oh, he's got a cool name. Brian <laughs> Adams is the coolest name I've ever heard. And they're like, and there's Blue Rodeo. And I'm like, whoa, it's a rodeo, but it's blue. That's the coolest name i ever heard. <laughs> And I kind of forgot about him for a while. I remembered the name Blue Rodeo, but it just never—it never stuck with me. It was the same thing as you. And um, I remember it—it it, just—you know the type of music you and me like. Yeah. You know they didn't. You know Cuddy and Keeler. Greg Keeler looks like he's seventy-five even when he was twenty-five. <laughs> Uh, Jim Cuddy is an absolute, uh, you know, he's a handsome stunt, man, but like a stud muffin for like the old ladies, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it didn't really translate to a young man when like, you know, Gore Downey was this wacky thespian right. li- front man. And then he had Steve Page and Ed Robert- Robertson, who are a couple of hands who just chewed up the scenery, Yeah, you know what I mean? We like, really connected with those two. For, yeah, exactly. Our standard for, for front men was, was totally different. And then also you add that country element to it. And this was before country had that renaissance, because when you and me went to high school, it's funny because it depends where you are. Um, no one listened to country. No. Country was considered to be tremendously uncool.
2: The only and the only thing even, I could think of is maybe girls might have listened to like that Lee Ann rhymes or like Carrie Underwood shit. Uh Even Carrie Underwood didn't really start carving out her
1: career until we had almost graduated. Well, when was before he cheats came out? I think like two thousand five. That was her first big radio hit. Wasn't uh, when was Jesus takes the wheel? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Before he cheats is a good song. Jesus take the wheel, hard pass. (laughs) Um, Jeez.
2: What was I going to say?
1: And I, I, I want you to po- possibly find, uh, if you can, Nick Offerman does a whole stand up bit about how Jesus takes the wheel. Take the wheel is the stupidest song ever <laughs> written. So see if you can find that and insert
2: the uh, audio. Singer.
0: Some years ago, uh, this beautiful young lady exploded onto the pop country Christian scene with her nauseating hit song, Jesus Take the Wheel. And. <laughs> Nobody, everyone loved this song. And I was like, that is insane, this song is terrible. It has a terrible message. It is an idiotic, anti-Christian message. And people are like, what are you talking about? And I say, well, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this song, but it's about a young lady who's uh, on her way home to Cincinnati for Christmas to see her mommy and daddy. Uh, Her baby's in the back seat. Things are not going great for our protagonist. She's got a lot on her mind and she's not paying attention when suddenly her car hits some ice on the highway and begins to skid. What does Carrie Underwood suggest you do? Throw your hands off the wheel and exclaim Jesus, which I'm assuming she's referring to Jesus Christ in the Christian. Son of God, who's not there. He's not actually going to steer. Regardless of your faith. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. I can't do this on my own. I'm just suggesting you better fucking do it on your own. <laughs> your child is in the vehicle. <laughs> Terrible message. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, do do you remember the first time you ever heard Blue Rodeo, or like, what, how they got brought
2: up, or? They honestly, they were literally just one of those bands that were in the Canadian music zeitgeist that like people would always talk about. Mm. And but they just, to be honest, up until last week, like, I couldn't have name the song. <laughs> Wow. Just, well, aren't you glad we did this episode? I mean, that's the whole point of this stuff, to get uh, yeah. to get reacquaint, or acquainted or reacquainted with some stuff that we used to love. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they were just one of those bands, because it's because of my music snobbery. You know, being a punk and ska and a rock guy, I was always like, uh, country. But, uh, so they just, they never did anything for me, and, and I don't know if they really changed their song in the next six albums, but I've been very wrong for this first six albums. <laughs> I know we'll get into that in a little bit, but...
1: Well, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into it. And I think the first line in my notes, Brian, I said, In the U.K., they've got Lennon and McCartney. But over here... Oh, and in the U.S., they've got Simon and Garfunkel. But in Canada, we got Cuddy and Keeler.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: So the history of Blue Rodeo began in 1971. At the North Ontario, uh, excuse me, the North Toronto Collegiate Institute. Two notes in, and I'm already fucking it up. <laughs> but it was at the North Toronto Collegiate Institute where Greg Keeler and Jim Cuddy first met. And uh, contrary to what you'd think, from when we did the Treble Charger episode and the Sloan episode, uh, they kind of met through their high schools' uh, music community. Now these two men of the football team, yeah. they were teammates, and it's kind of I gotta believe. Cuddy
2: was the quarterback. Oh, probably. With that hair?
1: I gotta believe. Yeah, yeah. And that jaw of his? Oh, come on. Come on. He had to have been the quarterback. And then, you I know, Keeler was probably under... He was under center, Keeler. You know yeah. what I mean? He protected him. Or, he got him the ball.
2: He, That's what I imagine. I imagine Cuddy was probably the jock beating up the band geeks who he later became. <laughs> and Keeler was probably the punter. Ha <laughs> ha!
1: Say do you remember with our high school uh, football team, we had the same same kid, the coach's son, returned the kicks, was the kicker and the quarterback.
2: Nepotism ran deep at our high school. Well, also, like, my brother, like, we're five years apart. When my brother stopped playing high school, like, they made it to one of the finals. I can't remember which one, but they got deep. And then in the last couple of years after he left – I'm not saying he had any part in this. He was a very average football player. But uh, they, this, our school's program just got shitty. So they, they literally had <laughs> no turnout. And that's why, like, grade 9 was a shit show because of OAC. And, like, I tried mm-hmm. out. You flaked on me like a little puss-puss. Um, oh, God. Well, for the record, for maybe the last two weeks of the
1: summer, not that long, <laughs> like the last two weeks, you and I tried to cram training in. I do remember you coming up to me at, like, lunch. So, you ready for after school? I'm like, what's after school? You're like, football tryouts. So I'm like, oh, no, not today. It's the first day of school. i got to go home and decompress. Oh my God. You're so mad
2: at <laughs> me. I mean... I felt like I was alone out there, and I would already embarrassed myself, like, although I think I beat, or actually, for a guy who was pretty slow, I nearly beat the guy I had to race off in the 40 meter dash with, like, uh, he literally beat good. me up by a nose. And uh, yeah. so all things considered, I was pretty proud of myself. But then I rolled my ankle running for a pass. My equipment never felt funny. It just Because well, I was used to playing why hockey. Why were they making you run for passes? See, I think it was because it was a general trial. They didn't know me from Adam. They're like, let's see. But they don't see a guy your height, the size of you, and you're like, oh, he's a lineman all the way. Well, I think it's one of those things because, you know, sometimes you get those uh, – you watch tons of football. You get that occasional guy who breaks off the line and suddenly becomes like an eligible tight end or something. Uh, yeah, that's so true. I that's think true. They, they were just yeah. assessing out people who have good hands. And, I mean, my hands were okay. It was my feet. They're fucking terrible.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so – after that like, it was such a shit show like I never went back after I hurt my ankle and I heard the coach Reed ripping me making fun of me in this like post practice like cause my I was changing my dad was picking me up cause he was between jobs at this point so he of course he takes it he's a football dad that wants to take an interest so he's driving yeah. to the practice like this is West Texas um and he heard Reed kind of like oh we got one guy that can't even get into the three point stance like clearly like talking about me and because uh, how did he know it was you i think he made a couple other jabs he's like that raid was making fun of you and i was like well fuck that i'm never playing football again and then uh, unfortunately mr page who was a nice guy like begged me kids were coming up to me in grade 10 and stuff uh begging me to play because they were so short staff and i was like nah hard pass and that's why like you got people like triple playing like several different roles that's why we had the, the coach wow. signed as quarterback, kicker, punt returner. I can imagine. Like, do you remember that episode of Seinfeld where
1: Jerry kept losing all that money on the stock market and Kramer kept coming in all happy when he'd get the stock report the next day that, Kramer, that Jerry's oh, stock he's was such a jerk. It? I can kind of imagine your dad being like that when he's here and the football coach makes fun of you. Like, <laughs> I told him he wasn't ready. <laughs> oh, is he going to hear about this on the ride home? <laughs> I am hey, so uh, Wilf, will you get over here repeat that into this microphone,
2: here, and... <laughs> I'm so glad I never... You're gonna replay it for the boy in the driveway. <laughs> I'm so glad I never played football. My dad, like, he already... <laughs> he already reamed me out for eight months, a couple nights a week, every time I played hockey, just lecturing me about what I did and didn't do right.
1: <laughs> do you remember the time you and me were in the car, and your dad was going off to you about playing Smash Mouth hockey? And all you and me were doing, Hey, it's like the band, Smash Mouth! All right! <laughs> And he's like, aren't you paying attention to me?
2: <laughs> yeah, and he's just like <laughs> laughing about Smash Bros. And he's just using those, like, old uh, <laughs> classic terms. Like, oh, you got to keep your head on. It's like Alpha Cheetah on any given Sunday. You got to with- keep your
3: head on a scroll.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. Well, you know what? Cuddy and Keeler, being football teammates, we assume center and quarterback, but I don't know where they played. Um, they developed quite the, the kinsmanship doing this, uh, as they did with a bunch of their other uh, football teammates. And after graduation, a whole bunch of them, they rented a team bus for the attentions of traveling to British Columbia. But the bus broke down in Saskatchewan. Now, that ended the trip for everybody except for Greg Keeler because he kind of just got off the bus and went his own way. (laughs) And he (laughs) wound up... In Lake Louise, Alberta, where he spent the summer working and learning how to play the guitar until he could officially call himself a musician. So, this wasn't like something that he had learned throughout high school or middle school. He didn't learn until after high school when he did this solo pilgrimage, leaving the rest of his football teammates behind. I was
2: like, uh. Yeah. You know, I'm. Sorry, go ahead. I've actually been to Lake Louise. I want to go. I've been trying to go for the last several months to visit our friend Max, but uh, is he in Lake Louise? Well, he's in Calgary, but I'm pretty sure Lake Louise isn't that far. Like, bamf. It's a, it's a, it's like a t- it's about a two hour drive. Yeah, I mean, that's not bad, especially because like what I was gonna do was all visit right. while he was working for like a day or two, and then have the weekend. So like in the time where he was yeah. working, I would literally rent a car or just borrow their car and putter around for a few hours. Probably head up to Lake Louise, but uh, restrictions Lo- and all these things throwing a wrench in those gears.
1: Lake Louise is maybe one of the most beautiful places I've ever visited. I can understand someone just showing up there and staying there. Like, you got the mountains that are nice and blue. And they're, like, the same color as the water. And it just kind of looks like a big... You'll see those, like, reflective paintings. It looks like that. And it is completely beautiful. Of course, when I went, I went with my ex-girlfriend. And... She took a picture of us standing by the mountains, and I got a big teddy smile on my face, and she looks like the most miserable human being (laughs) in the world. (laughs) That's when I knew.
2: (sighs) Not a whole lot of time left in this one. Wait, hold on. Yeah. I know we're best friends. I know there's stuff we don't tell each other. When the hell did you go to Lake Louise? What year was this? This would have been uh, 20, yeah, 2015.
1: Oh, I was in school again. That's why. It was bam, bam, bam. It was Lake Louise. Fight. Get the job in Thunder Bay. Suddenly we're moving to Thunder Bay together. We're back together. Hey, all right. And then more of the breakup started in January. So we kind of put pause on it for a couple months. Okay.
2: And then continued.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. As is in a much better place yes. now. Yes. Yes. Anyway, Jim Cuddy was the only class member after Keeler just had this crazy Zen moment where he walked away from the rest of the football team. Cuddy was the only classmate from that trip that uh, Keeler paid any attention to or continued talking to. And uh, when they both finished their post-secondary education, they got together and they started a band called the Hi Fi's. Okay, And I believe it wasn't the high fives, but it was another one of their early bands. Uh, Strombolopoulos played this clip, and it's available on YouTube. See if you can find it. It's of this early band, and they're playing uh, rose-colored glasses off of the first down outskirts, mm-hmm. except it's all sped up and done like completely new wave. Yeah.
2: You guys still sound yeah, we'll watch this. I love this
3: performance.
0: Oh, no.
3: That's it. <laughs> that's Stephen doing <Adorno's> all the
2: stuff. <laughs> oh, it's your first day, right?
1: A friend. Oh, it's so like a bad Saturday night skit. That there is incredible. Well, that's
3: enough of
1: that, eh? And you would never guess that it's Blue Rodeo, and Keeler's hair is not gray. <laughs> in the video. Yeah. Um, In an attempt to secure a record label, the group released a single called Look What You've Done. But Canadian record labels weren't interested. So the pair actually moved to New York City to shop the single around. No record labels were interested in signing the hi-fis at that time. But they met a Canadian when they were in New York City. A guy by the name of Bob Wiseman played the keyboards. And they decided that when they got back to Canada, they would start a new band with him. So you can't just have two guitars and a keyboard, right? Like, I guess you could. It'd sound weird. So they had to recruit some other people. So they got uh, bassist Basil Donovan, who's a former uh, bandmate of Wiseman. Wiseman knew him. And uh, Cleve Anderson, who played drums for David Wilcox. You know, Do the Bearcat? Play a Do the Bearcat. <laughs> Do the Bearcat. That's the name of this song. Do the Bearcat. Take a little lesson and you can't go wrong. Do the Bearcat. There you go. Now you know Do the Bearcat. And uh, together in 1984, the quintet, they officially became Blue Rodeo. And they played their first show at Toronto's Rivoli in 1985 and quickly grew a following, which helped them land a record deal with the independent label Risk Disc. Risk and Disc were both spelt with a Q-U-E, by the way. And by 1986, they had entered the studio to record Outskirts. So there you go. There's your little preface of uh, Blue Rodeo. Interesting that it happened to them so late in life. Like, they were in their 30s by the time they got onto recording Outskirts. So it makes sense why young guys in high school who wanted to hear Blink-182 rap around, uh, not rap, I want to hear Blink-182 sing about their bad first dates and shit like that. We're really feeling Blue Rodeo because they were miles ahead of where we were in life. Yeah,
2: 100%. That's... Yeah, nowhere near, like, the... Because also, over the, the span of these six albums, like, just, like, the lyrical content, it's that kind of, you know... I know they don't fully fall under that heartland rock category, but it's very like, you can see like they're really putting it all out there. hard on your sleeve type music, like a Springsteen, just not that same style. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there are similarities between Springsteen. I'd say if I were to compare
1: guys from that era that they sounded most alike, especially on this, these early albums. And I've written down a
2: whole bunch of them in here, Brian, don't you worry. Um, (laughs) I'd say a lot of Bob Seeger. I was going to say Seeger, a little bit of Petty. Um, yeah. On some of those albums, I can't always tell who's singing, but because just, again, I'm still so new to Blue Rodeo. I can't tell if it's Keeler or Cuddy. I think it's Keeler, but there's times where Keeler sounds half like Bob Dylan, half like Tom Petty. Well, Keeler, uh, you say Tom Petty, which which
1: falls in line with what I was going to say, especially as we get further along the discography. Record by record, he sounds more and more like Bob Dylan.
2: Yeah. That's true, because yeah, I was listening yeah, to I think it was I Casino it, yeah. this morning, and that's that's where I got the real Dylan-y vibes.
1: Oh, yeah, big time on that album. But like I always say, and this will be our T-shirt, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. more of that coming up. All right. So they got right into the recording studio right away. But uh, when they went to record Outskirts, first night of recording, Connie's wife went into labor. With their child, Devin, who is now a singer of his own, um, the very first night they went in to record that album. And uh, Jim Cuddy says it was a very special night. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a nice omen, you know what I mean? They're bringing life into the music industry and he's bringing life into his world at the, at the very same time.
2: Yeah, but sometimes it's there's almost too much of a good thing, because you get this chance to make a record, which then you're going to have to tour relentlessly. Now you got a kid at home who you're supposed to also take care of. It's like, I'm surprised that probably didn't put a strain on his marriage. Oh, hey, he's been with the same woman for his entire married life, oh, I wow. believe. Good for him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You land Jim Cuddy. You don't. You don't give up on that. One. <laughs> he also like in interviews though. Like not only is he handsome, but he seems just like a genuine, down to earth guy.
2: Yeah. Did you see that one yeah. that I posted this morning, the CBC one, where they're like goofing around with that Ralph? No,
1: I didn't get a chance. To, I didn't get a chance to watch it.
2: That was good. It uh, showed a bit more of a silly side of Blue Rodeo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they did the one with Strombolopoulos that I watched. Uh, he was sitting there, and Strombo asked him. Are there any bands you don't get along with because you're so highly respected? And Cuddy said there was one, and he couldn't say who it was. Not even Keeler knew who it was. He wouldn't say it on, on the air. And Keeler said, Is it Hadley? <laughs> Cuddy's like, What? No, no, not
3: Hadley. Yeah, but
2: yeah, I think Keeler's streets ahead because now everybody hates Hadley. <laughs> well, I mean, go? he was in this in this clip that I played, and head to our Instagram to check it out, but I used say, I don't know if they were just joking or if they were actually had a beef with Brian Adams, but they took a bit of a swipe at him in that clip because at the time, at the time he was making fun of like, he he was kind of like Canada's music scene was almost non-existent and kind of taking a shit on it.
1: Yeah, it's when, it's when he moved to England, huh?
2: Probably because
1: it would have
3: been the early 90s. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, I don't know what it is, but when Canadians move to England, they turn into real dinks. My uncle Rob, who I loved, great guy.
1: This <laughs> is your uncle.
2: What? That's your uncle. Yeah, but when he—he's not gonna hear this. But uh, like, there was the—the <laughs> the last time I saw him, he came from England because he's still there. He's married and yada yada yada. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he's changed. Maybe he was just in a bad place. But he was very like anti-Canada. He was just—he spent the whole time he was here just bitching about in England. It's like this, and I can't get a job in Canada because of this and that. Like he was just pissing and moaning the whole time. Although he was wearing like a shirt that said Ska on it, so that made me happy.
1: Well, that's cool. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, All right. Well, you—you know what? We talked about uh, England. Talked about people who bash Canada. Stand the script to people who defend Canada or boys in blue (laughs) rodeo. Now, when they went to record Outskirts, they got the help of producer Terry Brown. Now, Terry Brown had a very successful career as a behind-the-scenes man, producing, mixing, and engineering on releases from Sonny and Cher, The Who, and Kenny Rogers. So he had you know foot and pop, foot and rock, and he must be a freak because he got a third foot in country. Yeah. Um, He also produced nine albums for Rush one of their favorite producers, and was the man behind the album 347 EST by Klaatu. Have you ever heard of this album? No. It actually kind of goes down in infamy because uh, when this thing was released in 1976, it contained no photos or information on the members of the band Klaatu. And many fans and music journalists believe. It was the reunited Beatles playing under a secret identity. Ah. And people went out and bought this album like gangbusters because they thought it was another Beatles album. And then they got back together. It wasn't,
2: but it helped Klaatu become infamous over the years. Who do they think they are? Some like weird Fugazi thing where they're just like, no press, no nothing. Just buy the fucking record. (laughs)
1: Well, it was, very, it was very psychedelic, right? And uh, I know it was 1976 and the hippie movement was over, but, you know, they wanted to make it about the music, man. <laughs> music is first. You know, people weren't shooting music videos back then. That's true. You know? Yeah, that's what it was all about, and it was a scene. So, yeah. Ooh. Anyhow, this guy was producing the record. It was a scene, man. Uh, As a C Man, Uh, the album would sell a lot better as time went on, as it went quadruple platinum, but at the time, it only reached uh, number 20 on the Canadian charts. So it got some help, and well, we'll we'll figure out why in just a second. It would produce four singles. You have the title track, Outskirts.
0: That's just here. On the Outskirts.
3: Yeah, that's here.
1: You had a rebel. And it's
3: all, all
0: and it's all, all you had
1: rose colored glasses, which is an awesome song. Sung by uh, Greg Keeler, but far and away the runaway hit from this album, and really the song that put Blue Rodeo on the map, was the Jim Cuddy ballad "Try." It peaked at number six on the Canadian singles charts and number three on the adult contemporary charts, but it made it all the way to number one on the country charts. Again, don't really see it being a country tune, but it was a number one hit. Uh, Try also received some major exposure when it was featured in the 1990 Charlie Sheen classic Navy Seals. And I wrote in in, uh, brackets here, Brian, cue the clip uh, clip from Clerks. Ooh, Navy Seals. As well as the episode Cupid's Quiver from the short-lived Friday the 13th TV series, which when you research it actually has very little to do with the Jason Voorhees movies of the same name. Uh, Brian, what would you think of Try?
2: Uh, I mean... It was a very kind of stand by your man kind of vibe to it, but it was good. I all the song. I know you're gonna rip on me for being some hipster, but all the songs that I really hit me the best were the non singles. Like, I, as soon as I put play on this thing, and heart like <laughs> yeah. heart like Mine came on, I went bananas because first of all, they're all like doing. It, it has got a great start this album. Like first of all, they're doing that nice. Um, uh, what do you call it? Where everyone's voices are kind of. Um, Harmonizing, they're all harmonizing at the start yeah. and then it yeah, just yeah, like yeah. kicks into the like the it's like a drive-away song well,
3: we yeah, we fight too much.
2: And then they got a couple songs like that like Joker's wild is like their answer to almost like a radar love and Then yeah. uh, five, five will get you six. I loved the biggest surprise on this whole bloody album was Piranha pool uh, with the okay. with that slow piano and it almost had this like weird Mini the Moocher kind of vibe to it and yes it was very big band and so I was just like have I been hoodwinked and bait and switched this whole time like are they not a country band but they just have like Jim Cuddy just swings sings in this twang um, but I did think about it and actually I did really like Rebel so there was one single that was like big thumbs up so I'm not a total b-side se- uh, hipster but Try didn't do it for you? No, I liked it. It's just uh, in terms of like, like you know, if I'm already starting to put a playlist in my head, like yeah. I'd put some of these songs. So I just found them more fun and I just really liked them. And I think, you know, sometimes you might reign someone in with like a nice, you know, rock up-tempo song and then like a ballad. You'd be like, you might be like, you know, if you like ballads, I can play you Try, but if you want to bring someone in, you know what I mean? But Try, for me, has
1: this, it is a ballad, but the way it comes together is a little bit different than your standard ballad. Like, for me, it kind of comes together like it's, it's a band playing at the bar, and it's the end of the night, and they're stacking up the chairs, and nobody's there, and I don't know. There's something about it. Something about it that spoke to me this time around listening to it that didn't speak to me back when I was a kid doing radio in yeah. Caledonia, and we played Blue Rodeo five times a day. And I was <laughs> I don't didn't know. resonate to me until now when I was going through it. And I used to always tell everybody, oh, you know, if it comes between uh, Cuddy and Keeler, I'm much more of a Keeler fan. I'm a Keeler guy. I'm a Keeler <laughs> guy. I think I'm a Cuddy guy now. The Cuddy
2: singles speak to me so much louder now than they used to. I don't know. Maybe Maybe I'm getting old. It could be that, or maybe it's the fact that I never tried anything, so I maybe the song doesn't resonate with me. That's part of the pun. Yeah, I was making yeah. fun of myself, Ted, because I'm I'm a slacker. <laughs> I'm a slacker hey, in the self-deprec- fly. Self-deprecating humor is
1: uh, what me and you are known for. Yeah, and we do it as a means of survival quite often.
2: Well. the the last girl i dated last year well not the last one but one i dated last year she said that every time she's trying to psychoanalyze me like some bullshit saying every time i use self-deprecating humor because you know they always say between behind every uh, lie or joke there's some like truth to it or whatever so she's like she thinks i do i think i have like a poor self-image of myself and i was like i mean is she wrong i mean i hate myself but like, in a, f- what? In, a- you do? in a fun way, not in a depressing, sad way.
1: I, you see, you're talking to a guy who's always loved himself a tremendous amount, so <laughs> it always
2: sounds like a sad way when someone says that. You love yourself too much to the point where it's like... <laughs> <laughs> you okay?
1: So I it she wasn't wrong. No, no, she's wrong. You do need to love yourself more, Brian. Who are you, that fucking Drake song or Bieber song? Well, no, he was using that in a dismissive way. I'm using it as in a way to build you up. Yeah, I'm
2: fine. You do. You need to toot your own horn horn a little bit more. Although, I was actually listening to a, a podcast with that Canadian comedian, Ryan Long, and he was talking... He brought up a very interesting point that I agree... Maybe it's just me, but he said... Canadians like Americans when they're like they have a new podcast or they're like oh I have a stand-up special like check it out it's gonna be like the special to end all specials like they really pound their chest whereas yeah. C- Canadians almost do it ironically they're like Ugh. and I've literally done this on some of our own posts where I'm like hey you got nothing better to do you have you, 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 you don't want to slam your head <laughs> in the car door why don't you listen to our episode and it's like the very self-deprecating kind of way but he said that's kind of like the Canadian way and I'm like yeah he's, he's pretty much onto something
1: well, yeah, it, it it is. It's 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 also just being humble. Yeah, that's mean? true. But there needs to be a level that you find where you know, like when you know we're getting a little bit deeper here, Brian. When you go for a night on the town and you get yourself ready, maybe to go to a bar to meet some women or something like that, do you look in the mirror and go, "Oh yeah, I'm feeling that." Or are these just clothes that you're putting on? and You just don't give a shit.
2: I mean, I'll wear nice clothes, but I literally, I'll, if I had a mirror, I'd look at myself and just be like, is what it is? Like, you do the same thing if you go to a wedding or if you go to something special where, where you got to dress up a little bit? Do you, do you, do you, is that how you look at yourself? I mean, this is it? I know what I'm working with. So I'm like, I'm not wearing some like $2,000 suit that's like. You need, to, you need
1: to find a way that you can look yourself in, at, in the mirror and be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You almost have to get to the level, and this is going to sound incredibly egotistical, <laughs> where you make yourself around <laughs> by just the thought of how good you look and how good you feel. That's an important thing. That's incredibly important
2: for your self-worth. Yeah, I I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, part of it comes back to parenting. <laughs> Someone got too many compliments. Someone didn't get no, enough. No, I, I
1: didn't learn this until later in life. That that's something that you got
2: into. No, I know, but I'm talking about the self-image. Like you definitely, little Teddy, got a lot of, if we were cars... <laughs> And you know, if we were both natural running cars, take gas out yeah. of the equation. You run on kudos and adulation. I run on contempt. I do. I do like a pat in the back. I run on contempt and, eh, <laughs> that's what I got.
1: <laughs> well, you know, while we do this little self uh, self therapy, um, I think it's something you should work on.
2: Eh, probably. Is
1: uh, is 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 Loving yourself. And I don't mean that, like, in a very literal sense. In the biblical I mean sense? That, <laughs> I? I mean that in just an overall sense. Love who you are. Yes. I think you need to work on that. Well, thanks, but, uh, Dr. Phil. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. All right. Say, Brian, have I ever mentioned on this podcast before that the Junos are weird?
2: Oh, <laughs> We well, might have danced around the topic a couple of times. Yeah. So,
1: Outskirts,
2: it was released in
1: March of 1987, but it wouldn't be eligible for a Juno nomination until the 1989 show, because the 1988 show, which it was supposed to be eligible for, it was supposed to be held in December of that year, but the organizing committee <laughs> moved to March of 1989 to boost ratings, they figured more people would watch an awards show in the spring than they would in the winter.
2: Yeah, yeah. Aye. How about let's let's watch more TV when it's nice and you want to go outside, not when the dead of winter and there's nothing else to do besides watch hockey. <laughs> what night country do you? What, what country do you live in?
1: Since when is
2: March nice hey, in Canada? Hey, I've seen some nice March days. The occasional one. There's, well, okay. There's a bit of a shifting of the tide where, like, it starts to get slightly better. The days are getting a little longer. You get the occasional warmer day where it's like you get the yes. the vain hope of uh, spring is right around the corner. So people might try to go for the occasional walk or like be more active or go out more. I'm just, but it can be hit and miss. Yeah. Yeah, it can be very hit and miss. That is a good point. You do
1: get those days where all you want to do is be outside if it's really nice in March. Yeah. The problem is you also get a lot of days in March that are just like February. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, can, it can definitely be tough. But there's one thing I can tell you about the Juno Academy. They have loved Blue Rodeo since day one. And Outskirts received five Juno nominations and won three. They got best group. Single of the Year for Try, and Best Video, also for Try. However, they'd lose to Robbie Robertson for Album of the Year. And uh, that's a good album, too. Somewhere Down That Crazy River on it. Great album. And uh, Entertainer of the Year, they'd lose to Glass Tiger. I have no idea why there's an Entertainer of the Year category and a Group of the Year category like you're in there
2: against solo artists? I don't Again, know. Again, is it for like is it for weird. who puts on a better show or something? It was Because like, 'cause I'm sure they have critics that sit there and review live performances, so I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um Love this
2: album. That was terrific. Ebert's. Way all more around. blues than any yeah. but way more blues than anything else. You got that vibe? Oh, hundred percent. Like you got the yeah. you got the yeah, like, occasional like the like that um Oh, what the hell was it called? Joker's Wild, like that kind of like uh, Southern Kentucky Fried Country. That's like the road trip, yeah. road trip music. Uh, but well, it's almost just more Southern rock yeah, country. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, way more blues and uh, the way they fuse the piano in this in some of these songs and they do it like. Um, over the the next few albums is that they got that just like twinkling keys it's not like uh, like you would in a a blues album or a jazz album or something it's not just like the it's not a standard like piano riff or like and then we'll we'll talk about this in a bit but there's one song I forget I think it's off of Casino it literally sounds like uh, when I paint my masterpiece when they rock like the organ like he's Garth Hudson I love that song I just can't remember which one it
1: Yes, is I've written that down and hopefully, Brian, when we get to it, Sorry. I'll be able to refresh your. I'll be able to refresh your memory. I got Hold excited. On, I'm looking ahead here. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know if I wrote it down or not. Yeah. But that's two albums from now because we still got Diamond Mind. All right. Which came out in 1989, Diamond Mind. Their so- sophomore album, produced by Malcolm Burn. We've been over this. It's
2: sophomore. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I think we've been over <laughs> this, and both pronunciations are acceptable, and I am going to go with sophomore. Can I just say that I've heard it, and it bothered me, too, just now? Uh, Bryn wanted to chime in that she heard it from the other room, and it bothers her, too. She wants you to know that you're not alone, Brian. Thank you. He says thank you. Anyway, <laughs> regardless, it was their second album. Is everyone square on that one? Okay, Follow their up. second album. All right, we're good. So the guy who produced this, Malcolm Byrne, he was the lead singer and keyboard player for the Toronto New Wave act, Boys Brigade, and they actually had a top 40 hit with the song Melody, if you want to hear a little bit of that.
3: And all the late night clubbers say, they can still remember the way she used to dance. Melody
1: danced her way right into my heart. Sounds nothing like Blue Rodeo. Uh, Bird would work with Canadian acts like Crash Vegas and Junkhouse, but would find international success producing work for John Mellencamp, Iggy Pop, and Better Than Ezra.
2: Better Than Ezra. There's a throwback. Better Than Ezra.
1: So you can find that Norwick Donald clip where he's uh, doing a Weekend Update, and he's like, number one on the college rock charts, Better Than Ezra. Number two... Ezra. <laughs> Just love that joke. Um, where was I here? Okay, he'd actually won a Grammy, man, my man Malcolm Byrne, in uh, 2001 for his work on the Emmy Lou Harris album, Red Dirt Girl. And you'll find Emmy Lou Harris and Lucinda Williams, those two uh, country singers, Blue Rodeo has almost all of their producers has has worked with one of those two. It's a consistent throughout these first
2: six albums. You know, yeah. people say country. I always thought those two were more folky artists, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Uh, well, Lucinda Williams is is she's just like Blue Rodeo. Yeah. The- you know what I mean? But it has the country influence. Right. It's like almost more blues. Lou Harris, very country. She was with the Flying Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons back in the day, and they did that kind of cool hippie. Country, yeah, because I re- not hillbilly
2: country, more hippie country. Yeah, because yeah. I remember her doing uh, the thing in the last waltz.
1: Yeah, yeah, Evangeline. Yeah. One of my favorite songs off of that. Yeah, yeah, love that tune. Uh, where am I here? So, to record Diamond Mind, the band actually traveled to New Orleans for this one so they could really embrace themselves amongst the music that they love in one of the best music cities in the entire world. And the results would bring success as Diamond Mind would go triple platinum and become the second best Canadian album, uh, selling Canadian album rather, of 1989. Now, a whopping four singles were released from this album. But nothing really measured up to try from the last album in terms of success. The 8 minute long title track Diamond Mine was the highest charting single, reaching number
3: 7. Like a drunken fool I
1: which is the only one that I actually knew from this album uh, going into it, that only made it to number 25, but number six in the adult contemporary charts, which is weird because how long still gets a lot of uh, radio play to this very day. House of Dreams made it to number 45 in Love and Understanding, only charted for Country Radio, reaching number 32. And uh, we're two for two for weird in the Juno stories here, Brian. Of course, they couldn't have one weird Juno story attached to them. They had to have two. Blue Rodeo would win Group of the Year at the 1990 Juno Awards ceremony, despite the album Diamond Mind and any of its tracks not being nominated for a single award. That's so weird. Yeah. It's uh, like winning the MVP award, but not leading the league in any categories. (laughs) That kind of measure up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blue Rodeo would also get a little U.S. exposure in 1990 when they were featured as the band backing Meryl Streep as she perpor- performed the closing song for the critically acclaimed movie Postcards from the Edge, a movie that was based on the life of Carrie Fisher. And uh, you told me Meryl Streep had a little bit of a story on how she got Blue Rodeo into this
2: movie. Yeah, it's in the IMDb trivia. Basically, her rode- or, sorry, her limo driver was probably pumping... Uh, I guess it probably would have been Outskirts, because if this one wasn't out yet or maybe it just come out, I don't One of yeah. these two albums was, was pumping in uh, his limo, and she dug it, and she's like I gotta get these guys. And uh, so I guess management got in touch with management, biff, bam, boom they're in the movie.
1: There you go! You never know, some limo driver puts on your song, and boom, you become humongous. Yeah. Well, they they were already humongous in Canada, didn't really reach too much further fame in uh, the US, but... <sighs> We'll get. Well, That's what the podcast is all about. <laughs> uh, I thought this was a solid follow-up to Outskirts. Uh, particularly like the Stone Groove yeah. of Nice Try. I made sure
2: I put that in there. Um, did you get a vibe, a real sixties vibe from this album? Yeah. Uh, well, except for <laughs> except for God and Country, I feel like that should have been made after nine eleven. That seemed like just like a gun-toting, flag-waving song. But uh I think I think if they had held on to that song till I mean obviously no one knew 9/11 was going to happen unless you believe the conspiracies um but uh yeah if they held on to that one for a while I think when this very USA attitude <laughs> came in I think that would have gone Gangbusters but uh I mean yeah you're right a lot of 60s vibes um, I really liked that the end um, It was Fuse and Florida I really like those two songs at the back end Florida is an awesome song I wrote Big Eagles vibes yeah. oh, from yeah. Florida
1: Yeah, yeah um, I said this album is basically like If Outskirts smoked a bunch of pot Because <laughs> I also got a real Doors vibe from this Because of that organ uh, Grateful Dead and they used some percussion on here, which kind of got me some Santana vibes. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, I, I was really, uh,
2: really happy with this album. And for me, you know, they're two for two. One thing I will say is uh, with these two albums so far Because you know how some bands they take their whatever sl- uh, sound they develop, like you know, for like we were talking last time about the Sloan sound, and. You know, a conoline crush had their sound. And you know, some people they really Blue Rodeo fucks around with their sound a lot. So their album really takes you up and down. It's not just like the same like adult contemporary country twelve times. You know what I mean? They really yes. take you up and down like a like a bad stock. Well, especially in these early days, um, when
1: they were there, I think they were still on the verge, like they were still trying to figure out what Blue Rodeo was supposed to sound like, mm-hmm. and they would get that signature sound. But these first two albums, they're dipping their hands in all kinds of pies, trying to see what tastes the best, yeah, seeing to try to what was going to work together, and um, you get a very, very eclectic. And very different vibe yeah. from both Outskirts and Diamond Mind, which is something I always appreciate. I always like diversity in my music. Oh, yeah. And um, they toured hard, but they also worked hard. And the year that Diamond Mind would come out, they'd be right back in the studio to record their follow up Casino. And they rec- recruited a guy by the name of Pete Anderson for this album. And he brought a much bigger country influence to the table. We were talking about that. Yeah. Check this out. He spent years as Dwight Yoakam's guitar player. Ah. So we knew a thing or two about country from working with him and produced stuff for Buck Owens, Katie Lang, Lucinda Williams, we were talking about her, as well as Roy Orbison. And on this album, he'd even uh, uh, contribute some mandolin and guitar work as well. And uh, here's a little trivia for you, Brian. Okay. Happy 5th birthday to you cuz yeah. Casino was released on November 20th, 1990.
2: I was I saw that. I was like,
1: ah. Huh. If
2: if, <laughs> if I knew or liked these guys at the time, I would have been like, "Give me that CD."
1: But I was I was going to say you would have had a pretty sophisticated taste in music for your <laughs> kindergarten <laughs> class.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and despite, even though it was released on November 20th, was right near the end of the year, it only spent a month on the charts. But by year's end, just that one month of sales, it was the ninth best-selling CanCon album. Uh, it went on to reach double platinum status, and it peaked at number six on the charts. From Casino, it produced four singles, with the first perhaps being one of Blue Rodeo's best. I talked about it at the top of the show. Till I'm myself again. Yeah, that song is it's great. It's the lead off, oh, lead off hitter on this disc. And it starts it on such a good note. And I'm just smiling, thinking about that <laughs> song. And uh, what's interesting from this is, and now that we mention it after the fact, that guitar line, that lead guitar line in there, that was an influence. Talking about the '60s from the Birds, and it's a strategy that the Birds used on their song uh, "Turn Turn," where they used an electric twelve-string guitar to play that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, kind of cool, huh? It reached number three on the top singles charts, number two on the adult contemporary charts, and it, it did indeed top the Canadian country sh- charts and uh, easily. One of my favorite Jim Cuddy led songs. Easily. Mm-hmm. Love that one. Um, also from this album, we had Trust Yourself. Awesome tune. Uh, guitar reminded me of Secret Agent Man by The Ventures. <laughs>
0: but you had it-
1: That peaked at number uh, 13, and After the Rain, which got to number 30, and What Am I Doing Here, which uh, has a great backstory. So far in this podcast, I've been going basically just album to album, which I did for Sloan and a lot of the heavy hitters because it's a lot to go through. And uh, i got to cut out some of the chuffa, man. (laughs) got to cut out some of the, the shit you throw away, which is some of these stories. But this one's worth telling. In August of 1988, Blue Rodeo was thrilled to learn that they'd been booked to headline the Erie County Fair just outside of Buffalo. And it doesn't sound like a big gig, but in the U.S., state fairs, county fairs, they actually booked some pretty big acts. You gotta have that big entertainment at the end of the night. So they thought, "Oh, this is great." You know what I mean? It's a it's a, it's a crowd that probably likes country and they
2: probably like old rock and roll. Uh, so we're probably gonna be right at home here. If I if I may interject for one quick sec before you finish the story, and I'll, you gotta remember too that like there wasn't always this plethora of outdoor festivals that there is today. Yeah, that too. Yeah, um, like you know, Coachella didn't exist. Um, the the what call it the the one in Chicago um oh uh the the, the hellabalooza thank you no lalapalooza there we go (laughs) go. that was like a mere like five years away warp tour didn't exist not that they would have been on warp tour anyway but i'm just saying like festivals in general (laughs) weren't a thing so these state fairs these random one-off gigs uh, aside from like if you didn't catch the band like because the people always go to the show or the fans of the band right very very seldom in that era were you just, you know, hat walking by, it's like, oh, maybe I'll check out this blue rodeo uh, and just yeah. pop into the club. Whereas State fairs, you know, you, you you got no skin in the game. So if you actually enjoy it, you'll stay there and watch the whole thing, maybe buy a CD or something, or a record.
1: Yeah, you, you never know who might pop by, and it's a great way to get more fans.
2: Mm-hmm. <sighs> Here's the thing.
1: They were very disappointed when they arrived at the gig because they learned that their opening act that night was going to be a high school battle of the bands competition. Ah, Yeah, so that disastrous gig would become inspiration for the song What Am I Doing Here, which rose to number 17 on the adult contemporary charts. Uh, At the Juno that year, same story as Diamond Mind. They'd win group of the year, (laughs) but nothing from casino got any sort of recognition. (laughs) Now, Brian, I'm going to sound like Homer Simpson here uh, by giving it seven thumbs up. (laughs) But uh, they're three for three. Like these first three albums, this era of Blue Rodeo, you can't miss it. And I know I don't think anybody listens to this podcast for our critical takes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really good stuff. No,
2: it's good. And it's again, they they switched it up, you know, they they'd have some nice raucous songs, and then they got they got a lovely song like Montreal. I loved Montreal. Oh, what a great song. And then I also yeah. I really love the song Where is so it? I got the list here, um uh, where the fuck is it? Two Tongues. I like two tongues. <laughs> but um me and my B-sides.
1: Well here's the the thing with them, and we, we talked about this with with Sloan. Now this is just three albums in. But they're showing no signs at this point of getting stale at all. Yeah.
2: Because yeah, all three albums stand on their own. Yeah, nothing... Like, I, I feel like... You, I, I always bring it back to stand-up, because uh, I've been watching a lot of stand-up recently, but... You do bring it back to stand-up a lot. It, you well, it's, it. they're very similar art forms, because, you know, like... Uh, in, <laughs> no, that's true. In stand-up, you know, you you work on this material. It's, I mean, the... the How you play it is a little bit different. In in music, you cut your album and you then you play the songs. In stand up, you might make your jokes, then you cut the album or then you record your special, then you get rid of that shit. But uh, what I'm what I'm saying is, it almost seems like whatever they recorded off outskirts, they left alone. They did not bring any old material with them into. Diamond Mind, and then when they finish with Diamond Mind, it's all brand new shit. Like, they're like, oh, I've been working on this song for the last eight years. Let's keep trying to rework it for this. See if it, you know what I mean? That's what I was getting at.
1: Yeah. 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 No, they, they kept it fresh, and you could tell that their music is always like, because we, pu- we pulled out of all those like different influences that we could can, we can detect on these albums, they're always listening to different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, 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 yeah, it's always something different that's going on. Uh, so at this point they were releasing an album every 18 months and I know that like that sounds to us in this day and age like a really torrid schedule but you gotta remember like wasn't there a period in the 60s where like CCR out like three albums in like a year and a half or something oh, like that.
2: Well, it's it. You know, the Beatles. If you go through the discography, they were sometimes cut yeah. two a year. Uh, you know, Buddy yeah. Holly, all those guys were cutting like songs after songs. It was literally like you know you you record your your record, you play the state fair circuit, then you're back in there, and so it's like you'd have uh, albums on the charts from January, then one in December, like kind of still battling it out. Yeah, um, yeah, you keep rolling it over. Yeah, so. It's still a torrid pace, though,
1: by the standards of the time that they were playing in.
2: Well, I think it was one of those and things. Is first of all, you got to remember their age. So I think they're partially making yeah. up for lost time. So like, we got to strike while the iron's hot. Uh, you know, make some money. So you know, when I'm fifty in like five months. Um, I was making fun of them because they're not that old at this time, but I'm just saying. Um, (laughs) But like when they're older, it's like, you know, you want to have some money stashed away. uh, And you never know when that creative pen is going to dry out. And uh, so you got to keep taking that momentum into the next thing. So that's part of it. Selling albums is their oven, man. It's making the bread. (laughs) Oh, my God. Where'd you pull that out of?
1: (laughs) I think it's an old expression. All right. (laughs) <laughs> so, anyway, uh, they were back in there. But 18 months after the release of uh, Casino, they were back in there for their fourth release, Lost Together. Uh, it was delivered right on time. They co produced this album with American Pete Dole, who's more known for his work as an engineer and a mixer than a producer. But he's got some big credits to the name. How about these three artists they worked with? Miles Davis. Celine Dion and Adam Sandler. What? Yeah. Was <laughs> That's who Pierre Doll has worked with in his career. Those three artists.
2: What album did he produce for Adam Sandler?
1: Uh, what I think it's uh, What the Hell
2: Happened to Me. Okay.
1: What about for Miles Davis? Yeah, I, I got my phone to the other room.
2: Oh, I don't know. Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> you would have made, my phone's in the other room. I thought you do you want me to put this into? I put that anywhere to Miles Davis. Isn't that enough for you? I just thought you'd put, like, oh, he worked on these albums. Because if it was, like, Birth of the Cool, then that'd be really cool. But if it was one of his, like, later albums, it's, like, where he kind of fell out. Oh, up it would have ma- been one of his, like, 70s ones. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. But you got to cut out the chuffa here, man. I'm going to cut you out. You got to cut the chuffa. <laughs> Oh, Now, what's cool about this album is Blue Rodeo would actually grow in size on this album. They added Kim Deschamps as their steel guitar player. So they grow from a quintet to a sextet, and it would definitely add to the country influence that uh, they were always going for. Again, like all Blue Rodeo albums do, it sold like gangbusters going double platinum, reaching number three of the Canadian charts. This one was a hit machine. Five singles, Rain Down On Me. 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 Another one of those classic Cuddy ballads that's terrific. That peaked at number 11 on the Canadian charts. You had Angels that made it to number 75. Flying, which got to number 42
3: said if you were all on your own you need really fly and why you run then turn around and touch the
1: sky and already gone which only found success on country radio I'm already gone it reached number 14 however the runaway hit from this album was the title track, "Lost Together." We
3: are, we are lost
1: at number three on the charts and number six on the Adult Contemporary charts. And Brian, you gotta let me wax poetic a little bit here. Go for it. Because I think. Lost Together is one of the greatest rock and roll love songs of all time. Keeler's voice, the big organ, the strings that come in at the end. And what a romantic sentiment that is. If we're lost, we're lost together. I just love it so much. And uh, there's a few couples in the Hamilton and Burlington area who got married between the years 2009 and 2010, and uh, they can thank your boy Teddy J for uh, suggesting this to them (laughs) as their uh, first dance at their wedding for back when I worked at Giggs Entertainment. And uh, it was a finalist for my wedding, but it didn't quite make the cut. Van Morrison's Into the Mystic ended up winning out there. But still, this song is phenomenal. What a cliche. Where's Lost Lost Together come in on your... uh, your, uh, oh, what's it called? Your rankings of all-time great love
2: songs. I mean, I'm not John Cusack in High Fidelity, so I don't spend too much time thinking about love songs. But now, now that I know of this song's existence, it's definitely up there. I definitely, if I, <laughs> if I went back and thought of these, like what other love songs would be there, I'd have to go reassess. But it'd be in the running, that's for sure.
1: Oh my God! What? Well, what would you? Well, okay. So you're planning a date. You gotta set the mood for when you bring her back. And you want a nice big love song to play. Give me one or two. Just give me a couple. What are some of the all-time greats for you for love song?
2: You're putting me on the spot. Come
1: on, you haven't thought about this before? No, I really don't. Are you just Look? You and me both are incredibly tense people. <laughs> you and me both, we we don't relax well. I know that. Okay? <laughs> But am I to believe that all day you just listen to high energy, high octane songs about <laughs> kicking ass and taking names, and you don't spend one minute trying to throw back a love song? Going, okay. I I all right, all right, that will work. That will no, work. No, you, you don't do that. Like
2: if if a very like chilled out song comes on my playlist, I'll definitely listen to it and like it puts me in a more relaxed mood. But I can't. Sometimes I can't really decipher. Like just chilled out songs versus love songs. Uh, well, have you ever thought? Have you ever thought about the day you do walk down the aisle? What you're gonna play
1: as your first dance? What? What? You worked th- briefly as a DJ. Did they put you on the spot for it
2: or something like that? No, I never. I don't know why. I never made it out of this sh- uh, the. the- the training stage Because I never actually got a shift Because they like Ran out of gigs Or something They're like Oh we gotta give these other guys gigs We don't got room for you. Or, or maybe I was leaving for school I can't remember But it just didn't work out Um But actually I was thinking about one I don't know if it would be Okay I don't know if it would be a dancing Like a wedding song But I um it's it's called "Stay Young, Go Dancing" by Death Cab. It's actually a very lovely song. Okay. It's got a it's got a very like it swells. It's got a very like it's mainly Ben Gibbard and his acoustic, and then it just kind of builds with like uh, some strings at the end, and it's really good. Yeah. It's very very nice. They, and Death Cab for Cutie has some good love songs. Yeah. I like uh, "Follow You Into the Deep," but I like it's, the girl.
1: What's dark, the name Adele. of the girl? It's dark. Follow you into the. Yes, that's right. Adele sang into the. Deep. <laughs> Well, who's the girl, though, that you, you play? You, she had, they had the banjo in it. She's a Canadian girl. She does a cover of Fall You Into the Dark. Um, you you were the one who introduced me to this song. Uh, Shit, I'm stuck, too. Amy Milan. That was it. Amy Milan. That's our girl. There it is. That's a beautiful. That's better than the original. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a beautiful song.
2: But what about you, right. Sweats McGee? Well, that. What some other great uh, love no, songs? Well, like if um, if you were, you know, anniversary, whatever, a nice hot date night, yeah. and you were set in the mood. What would you put on the hi fi? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll give you a Don't couple. Don't give me some Marvin Gaye like, "Get It what? On" cliched bullshit. As good as that song is. Well, no, because I love song. A great love song isn't necessarily about sex. I know. I'm just like some people go straight to like, let's you know, get it I'll, on. I'll
1: give you. I'll, I'll give you a couple of diverse ones here, okay? You got some classics. Another great Canadian one would be the Jeff Healy Band's Angel Eyes. Love that one. Um, I know a lot of people call this one contrived and cheesy, but I'm a big fan of Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton. Um, Mellow Mood by Slightly Stupid featuring G-Love is an absolute beautiful love song. And I'll give you one more from the R and B genre now. How about "Back at One" by Brian McKnight? That's always <laughs> been a guilty pleasure of me. That's a great love song. So there you go, terrific love song. What'd you say, hon? Cheesy. It's not cheesy. <laughs> it's beautiful. Anyway, there you go. There's my there's a there's a little list. That was that Ted top five. If you add "Lost Together" on there, it's a Ted top five. So
2: Actually, one one other one I'd go um, to. This isn't this isn't really a wedding song, but. I just I love it, and it's it's romantic. Is the "God Only Knows" by the Beach Boys? I love that one.
1: Oh, it's a great song. So there you go, Brian. You got some. You got some in your repertoire. There. You're just a little too. You're not just on edge all day, you're listening to nails on a
2: chalkboard. It's board. just like Alexis on fire, and just like industrial all day. I'm just like just fist pumping for like hours. The blood vessels in your neck are
3: pulsating.
1: Uh, all right. Well, uh, Lost Together. Now, this is a fun thing that the CBC did uh, just this past year when the pandemic started. Uh, they put out a series called The Great Canadian Sing Along on YouTube where they got some Canadian artists and some of their biggest songs. And they just had people send in videos of them singing the songs. And one of the first ones they did was um, Lost Together. Oh. And they just had all kinds of people singing along to that song. Yeah, so it really is one of the greats from The Great Canadian Songbook. Uh, at the Junos that year, the Naked Ladies ruined Blue Rodeo's streak for Group of the Year. But this was 92. This was Gordon. Of course, the Naked Ladies. Right. <laughs> yeah. It. That's such a great album. Uh, and uh, Blue Rodeo would actually lose uh, Album of the Year to Katie Lang and her album N'Junoo. I hope I, spell, I pronounced that right. Uh, however, they would take home the incredibly coveted Juno for Best Album Design. <laughs> I wrote fucking Juno's. Uh, And the reason I wrote uh, fucking Juno's is because this is my favorite album to this point in their career. Yeah. This is fantastic. This is my top two, Blue Rodeo. This and the next one to come after this. Uh, 66 minutes, it's a long one, but the songwriting is just so heartfelt Mm. on this album Standout tracks to me that weren't included as clear singles because I knew you'd want to do something <laughs> like this. Let me tell you, did you have these on your list? Western Skies? Yeah. Last to Know? Yeah. Great tracks. And you and I always go off on great opening tracks, but we never talk about closers and how important a closer is to the album. Uh, Angels, I think, is a perfect rep- representation of how a closer should sound on an album. You leave them wanting more.
2: Yeah. Did I miss anything that uh, you had in your list? Um, I really liked. I mean, aside from the singles, I liked. Um, I think it was. I believe it was Restless. Give me one second. I'm gonna cut this out. Oh, All right. yeah. Restless. Sorry. I'm. Uh, I was just quickly double checking. Restless was really good. Also, just for the record, suck it, Bruce Springsteen. Our Blue Rodeo had a song called Western Skies first, and it's better. So. I I would
1: never want to pick on Bruce, but. You could score that one in the corner of Blue Rodeo. I like, I like Blue Rodeo's song <laughs> on the same title. Completely different song with the same title. I know. Uh, But getting back to Angels, uh, what, what goes into a great closer on an album? We always talk about starting off a, a thing and everything like that. A great closer, especially now that we're not talking about albums with two sides. We're just talking about one CD. We're,
2: yeah. Just,
1: just one listen through.
2: I mean, it could be one of the, it could be one of two things, really. Either it's a really rockin' song that just ends on such a high, or you're like, wow, what a rush. Um, yeah. Or, or yeah. there's the other one. It's like, um, you know, it's it's like a, a post cardio, just like you're like, light cycles, light cycles. Let's wind it down. Don't get the heart rate down. You know, everyone wants to calm down. And so it's like, it's, you know, they, they just take the gas off and it's something a little more relaxed. Those are the two main best ways to end an album. The last thing you want is just a clunker. It's just a throwaway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, uh,
1: for me, uh, the band The Gaslight Anthem uh, has for me the perfect example of one of the best, my favorite closing songs, and one of my (laughs) least favorite closing songs. So, if you don't know them, they've got two seminal albums. You got Fifty Nine Sound, and you got American Slang. They were released back-to-back. Hey, back. hey, Sink or Swim is the great. 50- I love Sink or Swim. I'm, I'm, these are my two All favorites. Right. I'm just using these because these are the tracks that we're talking right. about. And it is a great album. Um, 59 Sound ends with this upbeat, hard-driving, big chorus song called Backseat. And for me, Backseat is how you want to end an album. Leave them wanting more. But then, on American slang... It ends with the song, was it how how When You Were Young? Is that what it was called? We did it when we were young. We did it when you were young. That's slow. It's got this weird echo effect throughout. It just doesn't fit in with the rest of the album. And when you put out that closing track, you got to take into consideration the rest of the tracks that you've had out there. So if you're ever looking for my perfect definition of a closer, you got the backseat and you've got angels off of uh, Lost Together.
2: Campbell and I always debate you on this topic Whenever we randomly bring up Gaslight Because both him and I love that song that uh, We did it when we were young oh, Awful But Campbell and I are slightly more Indie hipster-ish than you So that's why it's, it's very much an indie hipster kind of jam It brings me no joy To
1: say that a band I love Has an awful song But I will go on a soapbox And say that that song is awful Yeah it brings me no joy. I want to like everything, even if I get an album gets a bad review from me. I, I don't feel good about it.
2: I try to find a silver lining. You are literally so. Homer Simpson when he was a food critic. You're giving a you're I giving a, like a three star review to a pizza with Hot Wheels in it.
3: <laughs> Did he do
2: that before he became the jerk film critic? Because that's where the the nine the nine yeah. thumbs up comes from. He's like not the other reviewers like nine thumbs up. What the hell is that? <laughs> And he's like, he's like, you only gave one bad review. And he's like, it was a slice of pizza. And I only got a bad review because I had a hot wheel in it. (laughs) All right. Anything else you got about Lost Together, which I just thought was terrific? No, it was uh, top to bottom. Another home run. Well, the most commercially successful blue
1: rodeo was next in the uh, release order. And October 26, 1993, they put out Five Days in July. This thing outsold anything else they have ever done by a long shot, six times platinum, peaking at number eight on the Canadian album charts. Now for this, Blue Roadie would switch labels. Um, they went over to Warner Music Canada, and then later Discovery Records in the U.S. So Five Days in July ended up getting a, uh, a release down south in September of 1994. Uh, they ended up self-producing this album, and they recorded it on Jim Cuddy's farm with the idea to kind of model this album after Neil Young's Harvest Era work. And you can hear that. A lot yeah. of harmonica on this yeah. album. And initially... This was uh, just going to be some demos that they were recording. They had an idea of the sound they wanted to put out there, so they were just going to get together, do a jam session, record it, save it for a rainy day when they wanted to show a producer, hey, this is kind of the vibe that we're looking for. But they felt that it had warmth and, hey, here's the comeback, spontaneity. <laughs> I told you I was going to go back to that one. Um, for them, that it warranted a release. And... Um, on this, they roll out the red carpet for several guests for the first time. Uh, Colin Linden of the band Blackie and the Rodeo Kings plays guitar on Know Where You Go. And Sarah McLaughlin would begin her friendship with Blue Rodeo. She sings backup on the songs What Is This Love, Dark Angel, and Tell Me Your Dream. So there you go. Sarah McLachlan and uh, Blue Rodeo would have a very long-lasting friendship and uh, partnership going forward. Six singles would come from five days in July. So they even outdid themselves for the whopping five that were off of Lost Together. Uh Bad Timing, which is an absolute beautiful Jim Cuddy yeah. ballad. It
0: just reminds us of the cost of everything we've lost. Bad timing, that so
1: That peaked at number 15 on the Adult Contempo charts. The previously mentioned Dark Angel reached number 19.
3: Diamonds for us, my dark I offer you my heart,
1: my Till I Gain Control Again, which is an Emmy Lou Harris cover uh, that was also made famous by Crystal Gale on the country charts. Till I Can Gain. And uh, shout out to our boy Morty Coyle from the 500 podcast. The goth rock band The Mortal Coil also <laughs> did a cover of this song. So there's my shout out to him. Hopefully he listens virtually. <laughs> um, anyhow, that song made it to number 24 on the country charts. Not the goth rock Mortal Coil version, but the Blue Rodeo version. Yeah, I figured. Uh, yeah. Now, the other three singles from this album, those were the biggies. You had Head Over Heels, which was uh, the final single release from Five Days in July. That proved to be a huge hit on country radio. It reached number four. You come to me, I'm head over cheese, and I'm always gonna be, that's okay. Uh, the album's opening track, Five Days in May, reached number four on the singles charts. May that circumstances go And a little bit of trivia about Five Days of May and Jim Cuddy's kind of headspace when he wrote this. Um, He wrote this song when the band was in, uh, I believe it, they were in New Zealand. And um, their sound engineer, they went to the beach one day when they had a day off, wrote his wife's name in the sand. And it turned out that that was a tradition of his. Whenever he would go on the road and he'd go to a beach, write his wife's name on the sand. Mm. Kind of like, uh, hey, you're here with me. And, uh, you know, Cuddy liked that so he combined that uh, with his own story of me falling in love with his wife. And uh, that became the result. Five days in May. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think that if I were to do that, uh, actually we'll find out one second your wife hey, Brittany, got your wife
2: will rip you apart you always alright she's gonna here. rip you apart and call you a cheeseball doofus Probably. you think she's gonna call me a cheeseball not doofus not exactly Just a, she'll, she'll be like that's fucking <laughs> cheese man you're cheese
1: okay if if I were to go to a beach without you and I made it my goal to write your name in the sand so you can be with me in all the world's beaches Would you think that that's a romantic gesture? No. No? Whoa, that was immediate. (laughs) No, I wouldn't think that's romantic at all. Do you think it's, uh...
3: I think it's
0: incredibly cringe.
1: Cringe? Not cheesy, but cringe? No, it's cringe as fuck. (laughs) Don't do this. I won't do it. That's Like, I'm I'm terrified you actually might do it. No, I've never done it. I've never done it before. It's, uh, the the sound engineer from Blue Rodeo did it, and with that, they, they wrote Five Days in May based on that.
0: Did he do it about his wife, or did he do
1: it about? He me? didn't know the sound engineer. You was you would do it for, for his wife, and then Jim Cuddy liked it, so he incorporated it in the song.
0: No, I th- I think if you're gonna do something like in that gesture, yeah, like bring something of mine with you. Okay. Don't like write my name in the sand. Okay. Because I'm only gonna be with you until the tide fucking rolls in. So it's true.
1: You, you People, make, you make Brian a crazy...
0: And, and uh, am I dead? That's, I was, I, oh, you're just not I was here. literally just not, about I'm not to say know that. I wrote my name in the sand to be there. I was Baltimore. literally it's super cringe. I
2: was literally Brian was It's about to like, uh, it. "Some tourist <laughs> is gonna see. Is like, cringe. is this Bryn person dead? Is this a is this a beach funeral for this Bryn person? Is that what this was?" <laughs> well, uh, let it be known throughout the land. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not everyone is a fan of that practice. <laughs> but who gets the last last laugh because Jim Cuddy does because five days in May uh, it proved the test of time. And you know that song was another one. It didn't really hit home with me until later. And now I just love that song. Um, I thought it was a weird choice to open the album with five days yeah. in May because it's it's a longer one. it's it drives but in a very gradual way. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's almost like a bit of a jam than a, uh, you know, really tight
2: song. But it just works so well. Yeah. What do you Uh, think? I mean, maybe that's why, because maybe they didn't want to hit you with the high octane number. It's like, we're going to ease you into this like an old man in a bathtub kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit.
1: Yeah. But it starts hot. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't ease into the song. Like, it's you hit that snare right away and you're in. Yeah, it was an interesting choice, but it, it works. Um, now, the biggest highlight from this album is hasn't hit me yet. Which I would put up there with nothing compares to you as one of the greatest breakup songs of all time. So, Greg Keeler has done for me the greatest love song of all time and the greatest breakup song of all time. And uh, he sung this masterpiece. It would reach number eight on the singles charts. And uh, the band would actually get to do it on the Conan O'Brien show, which I thought was, it was just like when the hip did SNL. It was so
2: cool. Yeah, I watched that clip and it was, uh, you can really see Keeler wailing on it. And I love how him and Cuddy Literally
1: look like they just got out of bed. <laughs>
2: they did that performance. they look they look very comfortable. Yeah, uh Ke- Keeler looks like he's um David Lynch with the friggin' eraser head shit. Like <laughs> hair's all the squirrely.
3: Yeah.
1: Um uh, yeah, I I absolutely love hasn't hit me yet. You know, when when they were on Conan and right at the end they hit that line out in the middle of Lake Ontario. Oh! Oh, I got so so swelled up. The Canadians love um, I'm going to ask you
2: things about Canada when uh, they're not in Canada.
1: <laughs> we do! We do. It's like it's it's like a dog peeing on a tree. It's their property no matter where that dog goes. That tree is a part of them. When you put a song about your home country out to the world, that's a piece of you that's out there now. It's a piece of all of us as Canadians. That's
2: the one thing. I know we've we've brought up the show a few times, but that's the one thing I like about in How I Met Your Mother, how they made Rob ah! Robin's character Canadian. And they always brought up random Hamilton cities. Or, sorry, random, uh, random Canadian Cities. They brought up Hamilton in the one episode. Although I still don't... Did they really? Yeah, there's, uh, so there's an episode where actually Robin... Because every, every couple of years, you know her Robin Sparkles character... Yeah. So they always do a Robin Sparkles episode. And there was one where she basically tried to make the change from uh, pop to grunge. And she did it at the... Oh, like Atlantis. Yeah. And uh, it was was basically a pure Atlantis ripoff. But they did it... Her stage was at the Grey Cup in Hamilton they mentioned that and uh they got Dave um Dave Thomas who was her like record manager to tell this oh, wow. like story and but was stupid it's like ah, oh, we got her the big gig the great cup halftime show it's like in Hamilton Ontario but then they're like just outside of Guelph and I'm like what the fuck Guelph is a smaller town <laughs> Hamilton's like half a million people <clears throat> I was like
1: the, Just when you think they've done their research, I know they go ahead and piss it all the way into the line like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. move on. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, I was going to ask you two questions about hasn't hit me yet. Okay. Uh, one, because we talked about breakup songs, we talked about love songs with Grant Keeler.
2: What, in general, do you like better? Uh, do you mean breakup songs or like love songs? Yeah. Um. I think, I mean, they're both good because, I mean, breakup songs are idealistic. Like, you know, it's like high fidelity or no, not high fidelity. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt says in uh, 500 Days of Summer, when he doesn't get a first, when uh, when he gets dumped by Zoe Deschanel, he's like, he's like, the movies and the pop songs, they all lied. Because he's all <laughs> bitter and he gets like just very destructive. But it's it, those love songs make you very idealistic and, like, hopeful that you'll find love. I feel like the, um, the breakup song is more authentic in terms of how, like, just you know, so many people live and just, like, uh, shit just falls apart. And I, I don't oh, think any song, uh, yeah I don't think any song ta- walks both lines better than Fairy Tale of New York. <laughs> but I,
1: I don't know if that following into either category. Because fairy tale of New York, I kind of view it it's i I think it's more of a love song, yeah, because they hate
2: each other, but they're still together well it's 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 split it's also split into two parts, right because the first part I think is yeah, yeah. the first part of the song is when they're um young moving to New York, you know they're a young happy couple, everything's new, the bright lights of New York, it's Christmas time, yeah. and everything's wonderful, and like nothing's more romantic than like Christmas time in New York. Because you know they got the Rockefeller Center tree and all the and ice skating and all these things and this the you know fancy streets are just decked out with decorations, so it's a very romantic time. It, it is, but yeah. But then you know the back half of the song, they're calling each other scumbags and pieces of shit. In other words, we can't repeat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you and me say a lot of words on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's it called?
2: You're right, you're
1: right. It's kind of a mix of two things. And maybe it is more of a breakup song, that one, because they're looking back on their relationship yeah, from a place of ruin. And there's so many different ways you can... There, I think there's more places you can go with a breakup song than you, you can with a love
2: song. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the, a breakup, depending on how hard you took it, yeah, it, like, you know, it could plunge you into some real dark spots or it could make you just, like, insane and ragey or you could be, like... It could be the happiest song ever because you're like, "I'm rid of that piece of shit." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah well,
1: I, I mentioned a couple of classics there. I, you know, hasn't hit me yet. Uh, nothing compares to you, the Sinead O'Connor version, yeah. which I think is the standard for breakup songs. Um, you got any others that you throw in that mix? Um, come to, come to mind.
2: Let's see. I'm trying to think. Nothing's coming to mind. Give me, a, give me a... Well,
1: how about a solo artist that uh, you and me really like? And it, it's not really a break... It is a breakup song, but it's a song about finding peace in a breakup. This I, I think it's the second stage, whereas Keeler is numb from being just dumped. We don't really go through the real pain and heartache just yet because he's just living in the moment of it just happening to him. Yeah. And then you go to, I was going to say, Comeback Kid by Brett Denon. Oh, yeah. Where he's been through the stages of grief and now he's ready to get back out there. Yeah. he's got to get back and fighting. That's always been a favorite of mine.
2: Yeah, I love that song.
1: Yeah, so there's a good... Th- I think that's, like I said, there's other places you can go with a breakup song, whereas with a love song, it can, it can be kind of one track.
2: Do you know how many times I have... Debated with people Mainly women About uh, They'll bring up like Who's your favorite singer This and that I'm like oh why don't you tell me yours first And they'll bring up That tattooed ginger fuck Ed Sheeran And I'll be like no, nah, nah My redhead Lives out in Oakland He's a lanky Lanky freckled goofball That's my guy Brett Denon He is way better Than fucking Ed Sheeran And they're like Who's Brett Denon And I'll play him Come back here They're like He's pretty good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. or dancing at a funeral yeah. that's another
1: uh, breakdown that I really like another one about finding joy in in sadness mm-hmm. yeah uh, but also to Ed Sheeran's credit you know what there's a time and a place for Ed Sheeran and maybe I learned that through working in radio and, and hey whenever someone wanted to slow dance at a wedding I'd always go to perfect or um, oh what the fuck is that other one um da 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 da, da, da. Do you know what Come on The other one The other song of his It's a slow one Why can't I think of it Think it out loud Think it out loud think it out loud That's it Those two slow ones I'd always play at the weddings And always a big Always fill the floor
2: Do you know who I would go to For like Romance songs In terms of like Pop stars that a lot of people hate But women love I'd go to John Mayer I like I've grown to really like John Mayer
1: <laughs> The way you said that Just
2: sounded sexist
1: You know there's Those artists that a lot of people hate But women love
2: Oh no, it just didn't sound good. A lot of guys hate John Mayer, then uh, but like <laughs> women love him. Same with Ed Sheeran. Not many I don't when I talk to a lot of guys, most people most guys don't bring up Ed Sheeran as a favorite artist, but girls do. I could be I'll wrong. What, speaking, Maybe I'm just talking to the wrong people. I don't know. Well, if you want to talk about John Mayer,
1: one thing that he has that song Welcome to the Real World about wanting to run through the halls of his high school. <laughs> For whatever reason, as an adult, I do have this dream. Of going back to our high school and just sprinting full tilt from one end of the school to the other. Like some kind of fantasy. Like that's going to be the most fun thing I could possibly do. I don't know what it is. That song just put that idea in my head and now I still haven't been able to get it out.
2: (laughs) You should have taken advantage during COVID times. Just like go to like the local Thunder Bay (laughs) High School and be like, Can I run
1: through (laughs) your holes? Well, it wasn't my high school, Brian.
2: Right. I wanted to run
1: through the halls of my high school <laughs> and sing and scream at the top of my lungs too. I'll be screaming like a maniac today. <laughs> one of these days. I've been waiting for our class reunion,
2: but either they didn't invite me or we just we just no one. That's more. Of, I feel like that's almost out. more of an American thing. Yeah. It's just because you know, like homecoming and all these keeping tabs on stuff, and like people just feel more. Uh, anchored to their You're old right. high schools than we do. Like, yeah. Because the other thing, too, is, like, I mean, obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but, like, you know, in America, like, let's say you grew up in Iowa. Like, you would go to school, depending on what you wanted to do. You could be, like, down in Florida, Georgia, I, uh, like, New York, Oregon. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, a lot of people, it's more common for them to go across the bloody country for school where it's, like, we would go maybe an hour. Like, some people would go to, like, you know u of t like an hour away some people would make the heavy trek to like queens in ottawa like very seldom oh, like i see what you mean so like not many there's less pilgrimage ex- right after high school yeah exactly so people are still kind of almost like not anchored to their high school no one ever i mean very few people want to go back but uh unless you're one of those sad like quarterbacks who like ran high school and they're like now i'm not in the real world and nobody gives a shit oh i'm sad
1: well, too bad our quarterback was busy splitting his time between uh, kicking field goals and returning <laughs> kicks because uh, he didn't run the school. Anyway, uh, oh, what was the other thing, I think Park Hill did tell me that our school did have like a, like a 50th anniversary where had you gone to the high school over 50 years, you could come. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what a cop out. Yeah. I'm not going to know any of these people. They didn't even have it at the high school. They had it in some banquet hall. <laughs> so the option to run through the halls wasn't even there.
2: The uh yeah, I think Jake probably would have been the only person from our class that would have gone. He would he probably Dude, think he graduated yet and he still went. He, <laughs> he probably would have gone to hear like old Smitty Jones story from 65. It's like the time they pants the friggin' one teacher or something, or they're like I don't know. They the more innocent <laughs> pranks that like they seem that,
3: That's not an
1: innocent prank Brian! <laughs> you pants your teacher. You're getting expelled. Uh, <laughs> Look how well it worked out for Dooley on King of the Hill. He <laughs> <You> got spanked. <laughs> yeah, and embarrassed in front of everybody.
2: I don't know. I was, anyway. so, I was thinking about some like happy days type prank where you put like the bucket of water and they cope in the door and it's like, oh, he's all wet. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> in real life, like ah, uh, like we had a
1: lot of pretty. Laid back teachers at our school, but they weren't like welcome back Cotter level laid back, where you could dump a bucket of water on his head and he's just ah okay, you guys, you're the sweat hogs, you're pranksters, I get it, you know what I mean? No, you get suspended or expelled to do something like
2: that. Yeah, like because most of the like, if you dumped a bucket of water on Paige's brother, he'd rip your freaking arms out. He was like a bear. Yeah, like the time I kicked the apple. Well, it wasn't me. It was
1: Kyle kicked the apple into his classroom. I thought I was going to piss my pants he yelled at us so bad. <laughs> Jesus. Yes, yeah, so I'll give you a quick story. I was walking down the hall with my friend Kyle, and there was an apple in the middle of the hall. So he randomly kicked it, and it went flying. It hit off of an open door and ricocheted into a classroom. So I ran for my damn life not knowing what was going to happen and our teacher this great big guy mr page he had a big beard and he was a big fella he came running out knowing it was us because we weren't really inconspicuous about it (laughs) he went who threw that apple into my classroom hey and his voice like went demonic who threw that apple and i just stood there lip quivering i i didn't know what to do now thankfully kyle wonderful guy he told him it was him and it was an accident and once he said it was an accident. It was like, oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I... Uh, like we didn't get in any kind of trouble. I was, coming, that was it. I was coming out of the library, and I saw you guys coming from the far door the other way, and I just saw Spade storm out a second after. I he's like, <laughs> I don't
3: know. I was like, what the hell happened? <laughs> it was scary. <laughs>
1: As you can tell, I don't like getting yelled at. Um, well, let's talk about five days in July. Um, I have a hard time deciphering what my favorite blue rodeo album is to this point is it 5 days in july or is it um lost together what was your favorite between the two lost
2: together um really okay yeah i think the i think it's because i respect that neil young like harvest moon era it's just i don't listen to it a lot so i didn't like I don't have as much of like that type of reaction to that that style of music. That's not saying I didn't like it, especially when they broke mm. out the harp. I love that. Um, oh, yeah. but uh, yeah, I just I just loved Lost Together and Casino and that style of the Blue Rodeo. So that one it just okay. it just did it for me. You
1: you would put Casino over 5 days in July? Yeah, those two just really did oh, wow. they really hit
2: me. Okay. But it's nothing to take away from 5 Days in July.
1: Well, this one, it, you know, it, it is a mellow release. Yeah. Um, it's their most country to date. Yeah. Uh, yeah, other than the Harvest era of Neil Young. Uh, got the Graham Parsons and the Flying Burrito Brothers vibe from it big. I know I already mentioned them. Uh, that stoner country rock, which I quite like. Um, some of the stand-up deep cuts for me were Photograph. Uh, as Look well as this Dark Photograph. Photograph. <laughs> Different photograph, Brian. I know. As well as the song on Dark Angel, which I can't decide if it's romantic or haunting. That was the one that had Sarah McLaughlin singing on it. Oh, she yeah. Was singing it in that weird voice. Yeah, that left an impression on me, that song. Uh, at the Juno Awards in 1994,
2: Blue Rodeo would go, oh, for four.
1: Fucking Junos.
2: I don't know. Maybe, maybe they uh, they don't appreciate people trying to reinvent themselves or change. It I must be. I, I, I sometimes swear they just pick names out of a hat. <laughs> they're uh, just at the, the local best billiard Al- hall, just like they have all the names on a dartboard. They're like, poink.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, leave it up to chance. <laughs> they lost Best Album Design, which, in the long run of things, who gives a shit who wins Best Album Design? Uh, they lost that to Faithlift by Spirit of the West. Uh, they lost Group of the Year to the Rankin Family. And a Songwriter of the Year to Leonard Cohen. But there's really no shame in losing a songwriting contest to Leonard Cohen. I know you're a big Leonard Cohen fan.
2: I like some of his stuff. Um, I thought you were a huge Leonard Cohen guy. I like that one 80s album uh, with, like, First We Take Manhattan and, uh, yeah. and stuff like that. But I I have one of his more recent albums, which is uh, it has got a couple of really good songs. But sometimes it's hard to sit down and listen to a full album without just gravel stone monotone yeah yeah but it's, it's good it's <laughs> i understand yeah. that um
1: the video however for rain down on me from lost together that was recognized that year because of course why not take a song from a different album from a different year and have it <laughs> this year's juno's volumes that's what we do with the junos right uh and that's a cool video for oh wait rain down on me okay never mind i haven't seen that video uh, anyhow that lost to uh Would I Die for You by Jan Arden for best uh music
2: video that year. So uh, Juno's you keep uh you keep messing with my head. You know, I was just having a bathroom whiz thought and I just thought of a uh a song. Speaking of Leonard Cohen, there's a song off I think it was twenty fourteen album. It was called Did I Ever Love You? And it's uh, a yeah. that would be a good I assume it would that would be a breakup song, but it's it's uh his there's a girl singing I can't remember who it was but she's like did I ever love you and you got his gravel like thing and he's got a very good like bouncy bass and like going like it's very very good
1: I feel like I know this one
2: are we still leaning
3: across the old table
1: I never can think of one where like, the girl sings really nice, uh... <laughs> not really singing along with her, but doing his Leonard Cohen like, speaking.
2: His attempt at singing, but it's like, it's like if Brad Garrett tried to sing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that may be the most perfect definition of what Leonard Cohen sounds like <laughs> that I've ever heard, ever heard. Not going to be able to top that. <laughs> All right. Blue Rodeo. They released their sixth album, Nowhere to Hear, in September of 1995. And they co-produced this one with John Not, who worked with such groups like Big Wreck, Colin James, and once again, Lucinda Williams. I told you that name would keep popping up. Uh, however, he's better known for his work in film. John not? Uh, recorded and mixed scores for the first two Austin Power movies. Huh. And he got a share of an Oscar nomination in 1993 for his work on Last of the Mohicans. Huh. So it looks like they were going for something pretty grandiose. Uh, and once again, they brought Sarah McLaughlin on board uh, to contribute some vocals. She uh, did three tracks on the album, just like she did in Five Days in July. Now, Blue Rodeo gambled on this release. And they decided to go with a much more electric sound. I was going to say was out there on five days in July. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was a gamble that did not pay off, as most critics and fans considered nowhere to hear to be one of Blue Rodeo's weakest releases. However, it did uh, it sold pretty well and went double platinum and reached number two on the album charts. And it also produced five singles. Both the first single, Save Myself, and the last single, Girl in Green, failed to chart. Uh, And they're both Keeler numbers that have a pretty psychedelic vibe to them, so I can understand why radio stations weren't jumping to play them. Yeah. Um, But another Keeler song, Side of the Road, did pretty well. number four better off as we are uh which feels like the most country inspired uh rock blue rodeo usually produces he feels like your standard blue rodeo tune if i could get the words out correct i would uh it reached number five and then he had Blue it again which sounds like a hockey-tonk version of harvest moon by neil young that's
3: what i wrote i can't help wondering why I i let you
1: uh, that made a minor impression on the charts, reaching number 70. Um, now, it's not viewed as one of their premier albums. However, they still managed to win Group of the Year at the Junos without having the album nominated or any of the tracks nominated. <laughs> so, that's what Blue Rodeo is becoming known for at this point. And, uh, you know, I saw one critic describe Nowhere to Hear as a great sandwich made with some really crappy bread. So where the album gets good is near the center and to the closer to the center you get the better it sounds and I definitely agree with that sentiment um although I am a fan of Keeler's stoner blues songs if I'm in the right mood I'm like yeah okay um I really prefer the more traditional blue rodeo sound yeah uh which you have got on Better Off As We Are and also on songs like Sky and Armor I was a big fan of those yeah two. I was
2: about to say that one
1: yeah um uh, now, some fans would say this isn't an album that you want to... Oh, sorry. Let's start that again. Uh, I've also heard some fans say that this isn't an album that you want to have on in the background so much. Uh, as it's one that you want to sit down with a pair of headphones and truly appreciate. And uh, for me, I do appreciate the experimentation on this. Get a little electric. It's a new album, a new sound. Why not do that? And we're running into the Sloan thing where they put out a pretty good album but the standard is so high and the Blue Rodeo standard was high from Jump Street Man you know what I mean? And this one does fall short of that blue rodeo standard.
2: Yeah, and like speaking of like this, you know, the Sloan sound kind of thing. Like, I mean, this isn't the typical blue rodeo sound, but they kind of picked aside from a couple of the the, uh, the Keeler songs, like we were talking about, they had kind of like an adult contemporary, very '90s rock kind of sound, and they really kind of stayed yeah. stayed in that for a lot of the album. So unfortunately, like we didn't get that. Blue Rodeo really differentiating, uh, you know, the up and downness is just very kind of. I don't want to use the word flatline because that kind of sounds mean, but it just it wasn't the dynamic of albums past.
1: Yeah, well, like I I did get a bit of an up and down journey when I listened to it. Um, it's just it's the thing I find find with other Blue Rodeo albums is they get the benefit of the doubt for me on every song. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, every track, when it comes on, I'm going to listen to the whole thing, no matter what, on the first yeah. live. On this one, it's one of the ones where after about a minute or so, you might get ready to start
2: skipping. Yeah, it you it's like, I, I get it. It's-
1: yeah, 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 exactly. Which is not really a good take to have. um, Especially since you just put out five gems in a row. Yeah. So, fortunately for Blue Rodeo, we're only midway through. They've got plenty of time to make up for it in their long-storied career. And uh, we'll find out if they did next week. So here's here's a thing, Brian, that I used to do. I used to do a thing when I hosted my radio show in Caledonia with Shane Mahoney. We're at the every at the end of every show, we'd do this thing called, What Did We Learn? And he'd go, thanks, Ted. What have we learned? Oh, there's the jingle. <laughs> I always do that, right? Uh... I want to know, what have you learned from being a Blue Rodeo novice to now listening, sitting down listening to their entire first half, what you might say is the heyday of Blue
2: Rodeo, of the discography? What what, did you learn? Uh, Well, first of all, I feel like I learned that, I mean, I guess I relearned that industry people and radio people don't know how to properly label a band for shit. In turn, because like there's, because when I, when they told or when you told me we're doing blue rodeo and I'm like okay I know their country, but I just picture honky tonk, and especially like either the honky tonk like outlaw country of the olden days like the Cash era yeah or the Willie Nelson the folky country, or the bro douchey cunt country of the of uh, the last 20 years Uh, the Florida Georgia lines of the world yeah and the the friggin barbecue stains on my fucking shit tank top Um, I thought you liked that song oh it's garbage (laughs) I like to make fun of it but uh, so I guess as I say that it kind of makes me like don't when someone tells you something country, I shouldn't automatically prejudge that it's gonna be garbage. So I I definitely and like when someone pitches me a country band or song, I'll actually give it an, a song or two before I'm like, nah, hard pass. So that's the first thing I learned. Um, and I just learned so much about Blue Rodeo that they are so much more than meets the eye. I just pictured they were our one country band that got on the map, and. You know, that they were they like the token country band, but they were very talented. That's what I've learned. They are very
1: talented. there the, were a lot more and I would definitely say they were one of Canada's quintessential bands. Um the next thing I got to ask you as if you
2: found yourself, are you more of a cutty guy or a keeler guy? Um I think I'd have to honestly do at least one more album pass each, with each one before to fully make that. But uh, I respect what they both bring to the table. I think pure singing, I would take Cuddy. Um, but they both bring good lyrics too. It's see, it's, it's hard. To, I guess maybe because of pure vocals, I just take Cuddy. But he, I know yeah. he he likes to bring different types of songs to the like the the ballads to the table and stuff. So as long as you're okay with the ballad.
1: See, I I always declared myself a Keeler guy, but now I think I'm more of a Cuddy guy, after going through all these. But Keeler still sings my two favorite songs, "Lost Together" and uh, hasn't hit me yet. Hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's tough, but we're we're gonna find out a whole lot more. Um, especially from these later releases. And one thing that this show has shown you and me is you can never count these Canadian bands out with those <laughs> later releases. You know, we saw it with Maestro. We saw it with Sloan. There is some gold hanging around in the late albums of the 2000s and early 2010s. Yeah, and so it's, hopefully we can stumble upon that with Blue Rodeo.
2: Well, the other thing too is... I mean, this is different for Blue Rodeo because they started older, but uh, so they're older still by this point, the next chapter. So when you get older, you mature as a songwriter, you, you know, broaden your musical horizon in terms of what you can bring in. And they've already started to do that when they bring in Sarah McLaughlin and and What's Her Face. Um, Mm. And so I can only look forward to where the next few albums go. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. Now, I am one album in.
1: I am one album in, but I'm looking forward to the whole uh, thing. Also, they have a Christmas album in there, and we're not going to be
2: reviewing it. Christmas albums are Christmas albums. I mean... It's July! Well, not only that, but it's maybe, actually, if we keep doing this thing, if we don't have another Rage Fight in Season 2, and we keep going by uh, one of our off-topics for our our playlist, we could do a Christmas album uh, playlist... Because we could take something from that. We could... T- Doug and the Slugs have a Christmas song. The Payolas have a Christmas <laughs> song. Do. So we can start building yeah. a nice Canadian Christmas list.
1: I kind of like that idea, but let's do it closer to Christmas. That's what I'm saying. Not, you know, during five days in July. Oh! Is this thing on? Is this thing on?
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the album.
1: Yeah. All right. I um, guess that does it for uh, episode one of season two. Uh, episode one, part two is coming up next week. And uh, whew, you're going to have a long night of editing ahead of you there, buddy. Yeah. I'll make it happen. Uh, I know you will. I know you and will. And just uh, if it's an hour late or something like that, I don't know if we have anyone who's that eager who t- turns tunes in right at like, the
2: stroke of midnight. But. Hey, before... Before we sign off First things first My buddy Andrew Taylor A.K.A. Grizz There We've done a country at band Alright so Stop harping me about country <laughs> Has he suggested any other acts? Uh, he told me about one guy I'll have to message him Because he I've already forgotten him When I visited him in Ottawa A few weeks back He played me some country Because that's all he listens to And, and there is some Canadian uh, country And it was, it was what it was Well I've had, a, I've had a few people Suggest
1: to us That we do default because dallas smith their lead singer went on to have a successful country career uh i'm willing to do it but i should mention that i hate
2: default i was gonna to I say they stink. it'd be wasting our time
1: oh that's pretty good there you go <laughs> it that's great but here's the thing i can no longer di- i hate it when people do that and they say i hate a band i hate a band i'm gonna write them right off I won't do that at some point. Maybe we'll work default in there. Then you can have Dallas Smith's country career. And then you get the whole grand scheme of a little bit more country. So, yeah, there's another for your buddy, Andrew. We'll, we'll we'll work on a default Dallas Smith episode down the line.
2: Actually, I think that might have been one of the people he pitched me. I can't remember, but I'm sure because he said he was going to listen to this episode later when he's actually. And
1: it's, it's, a, it's a good story, uh, default, yeah. because, you know, he found a career outside of rock. And you know what? I, I feel bad saying I hate them and they stink there because I don't like it when people do that to bands
2: I like. Well, the the other thing, too, is, you know, it's it's good that he was able to pivot because so many, especially in that two, exactly. that 2000s, like, butt rock and everything, there's the market was so yeah. saturated. Some people have to realize, like, you're not going to be a great rock star. You might be able to get into something else, adult contempo, country, uh, who knows? Maybe it'd be like, you know, Robbie Williams goes from take that to just being a pop star. <laughs>
1: You know who else pivoted from being a rock
2: star to a
1: uh, pop star? And I'm not talking about Darius Rock. Yeah. Because Hootie always had a country. About.
2: Oh, sure, sure. Um,
1: Aaron Lewis from Stained. He's a country singer now.
2: Oh, is he? Yeah. It's been a while yeah. since I've heard him. I'm going to be pulling out all these. That wasn't as good as your default. I know. It's
1: because I. I was not
2: as good as your default. It's... It wasn't as good as your Brad Garrett as uh, <laughs> Leonard Cohen either. So. It's just because I shouldn't right have right sung it, right it. I should have right just right. left it as a speaking bit. Uh yeah. anyway, uh All before right. we well, sign off, you know, if you listen to this and you enjoy it, please subscribe, tell your friends, uh Canada FM on Instagram, f one on Twitter. Uh if, if you have an idea or if you want to just give us feedback, you can always post it in the Apple podcast, leave us a review if you want to suggest a band there or if you want to tell us we stink or tell us we're great. Teddy needs the we we're, we're great. I don't care if you tell us we stink because I'm going to do it anyway. And you want to keep listening, you jerk off? I feel like I've made some <laughs> imaginary enemy right now.
3: What <laughs> the fuck are
2: you
1: doing? you I going a fight with an invisible listener? Yes. Jeez. Oh, my God. Yes, we very much appreciate you listening. We love you for listening. Please keep doing it <laughs> no matter what he says. And uh, if you can g- give us a, follow- a following on Instagram, that'd be swell. If you could raise a five-star uh, review on uh, Apple Music, that'd be neat We'd really, really, really appreciate it. And um, also, uh, I had one more. Oh, yeah. Since we're doing each season and we're recording it the night we release it, uh, we're really flying by the seat of our pants here, so... No episodes are written in stone. If you have a suggestion for us, chances are we'll use it.
2: And also, if. Uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, yeah. If you have an idea for an off topic, our friend Brent, shout out to Brent down in Jacksonville. Uh, Hello, Brent. You sound like Robot Randall. Hello, Brent. Oh, <laughs> course, yeah. uh, he suggested we do more off topics uh, because he likes our shit talking and I just bantering back and forth. So. Um, well, it's mainly my shit talking yeah, You get plenty of that anyway yeah. It's mainly my shit talking I'm the bitter one But uh, Ted's like Kevin Smith When he got high When he started turning to weed Where he just likes to love everything That's, that's you That's where you are in your life that's for- what's wrong with loving everything <laughs> I don't know Is that a compliment? Is that insult? <laughs> you take it however you want I can't figure out how to take that I mean All Kevin right. Smith has definitely gotten less bitter Because I know Uh if you read stories about him in the Mallrats to the Dogma era, he was, like, shitty and, like, not shitty to be around, but, like, he would fight fans on message boards and stuff and just, like, it's, you know, oh, like wow. what Twitter is now and stuff and Instagram and all that, but uh, whereas once he met Seth Rogen and started getting stoned, he just, like, lo- started <laughs> loving everything, but he's become a terrible film critic. He just, like, he just loves everything, even if it's <laughs> god-awful. So what's wrong with that? Yeah, well, I—he's
1: not a film critic; he's a director.
2: No, but I used to tune in into his uh, "Fat Man on Batman," where he, him and uh, Mark Bernardi yeah. would. Uh, I listen sometimes would to review that. review a yeah. movie, and I'm just like, no, I'm just like. Eh. But also, the problem is, is like I think I'd I'd, I'd tune in if he did more random movies, but now it's always Marvel, DC. You know, uh, Star Wars. And those are the things he's like, he admits, he's like, they got my money because those are the things that I grew up loving. So he's already impartial. Yeah. So it's nothing. They should respect the audience. Nothing is earned or everything is earned. Nothing is given for free. That's why, like, I hate <laughs> the new Star Wars movies and I love Star Wars.
1: though we just did an episode where we gave five out of six albums absolutely glowing reviews. Yes. What does that have to do with Star Wars? <laughs> I'm saying we love everything too. Oh no, I was, I was going back. You had gotten ahead of me.
2: Oh. My train of thought is a little bit slow. Uh, well, All also right. Blue Let's... Rodeo earned it by making five incredible albums and one okay album. Okay.
1: All right. Well, next week we will see. Are the next six just as good? We'll find out as we explore more Blue Rodeo on Canada at that. I'm Tad I'm Brian.